0: Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information that you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community because without you... This community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here over-sharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Alright, guys, thank you so much for joining me. I am here today with one of my very dear friends. Her name is Claire Stafford. Claire, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for allowing me to be here.
0: <laughs> it's such a pleasure. We were very lucky because Claire is, she's based in Australia, but she was traveling and sort of stopped through LA. So we decided we'd make some time to have her on the show because I've been wanting to talk to her for a while now because we have lots of chats about what's been going on. So why don't we jump right into it? And um, Claire, can you tell us when and how you first realized you were sick? Um, I was first diagnosed with
1: estrogen positive breast cancer, um, when I was 33 years old in mm. 2017. However, I first realized there was something wrong prior to that. Mm. Um, about 18 months prior to that, I was going through a tough time because I, my mother had just been diagnosed with, um, lung cancer, mm. uh, that had already spread to her bones and, um, Which is
0: metastasizing. Yes. Like the technical term is that it had metastasized, right? That's right. So if we refer to that later, that's what it is? Yes. And she – so that was
1: quite a shock Mm. because she was otherwise quite a healthy 62-year-old woman and she hadn't smoked in 23 years. Mm. Uh, And around that time, I started to feel uh, chest pain, what I thought was in the area of my heart.
0: Mm.
1: And so I went to the GP – Uh, and explained the symptoms, and they did an ECG Mm. to test my heart, which came back completely normal. Mm. And the GP at the time said to me that she thought due to my mother's terminal diagnosis, uh, I was experiencing stress that was causing chest pains, and that that was quite common and not to worry. Anyway, unfortunately, my mother passed away uh, relatively soon after that. And
0: and you were really close with her.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, nothing really prepares you for those things. Yeah. But, uh, a few months later, I, I'd moved cities. Um, due to her illness, and Mm. I attended another GP because I was still feeling this unusual pain in what I thought was my heart. Mm. And it was the fact that it felt like it was my heart that really concerned me because you think, well, that's a vital organ. Yeah, Get that checked out. Yeah. Uh, So I I attended another GP uh, in Melbourne and his advice was, well, you're experiencing grief. Mm. You've already had an ECG and that was normal. Uh, grief causes pain in the chest so that's just normal and carry on so Mm. anyway I went away from that but it also like
0: let's just say to me that doesn't sound normal like it's like that's because you're telling him that you're in pain and he's like oh well tough tough shit basically it was a bit like that yeah and I I felt like
1: I you know that's why I went back the second time because I Mm. thought this is an unusual feeling this isn't
0: And it sort of minimizes the experience of your grief as well to just write it off to grief and not take a deeper look as well. I don't know.
1: That's true. He, he, he sort of thought he would have done an ECG, but that had been done. And Mm. so, you know, uh, uh, anyway, I, I went traveling for a while and did some volunteering in the year after that. And on my return from few months in Europe, I still had this nickeling feeling in my heart and I thought no, I'm going Mm. back about this Uh, and I went back to the same GP and I said, you know, this is still annoying me and I put my foot down and I was offered an ultrasound and within five days I was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer and two tumours were found right in the area where I'd been feeling the pain. Wow. I mean, it wasn't even pain, it was just an an unusual feeling and uh, those tumours are not ordinarily supposed to cause pain so you know it's interesting perspectives you might have on the brain creating a pain to
0: mm.
1: you know to alert you alert the body um, and you had
0: you had a an oncologist who mentioned that at one point didn't you? I did yeah. yeah and that was reassuring yeah um and validating when you get the diagnosis when it's like hey like oh it is it is a thing it is a major thing like we thought there was something major going on with this discomfort you were having and then to have the validation of the diagnosis. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. I think by the
1: time I was on the table having the ultrasound, I knew. Mm. I knew there was something. Yeah. Um, I, I just knew. And so I wasn't actually that surprised Yeah. then. Um, but, but that must
0: have been a shock. I mean, emotionally speaking, going from like losing your mom to cancer and then being diagnosed with it yourself did you ever sort of jump to the mortality thing right away? Because like we were talking about this earlier today that like, you know, you hear words like cancer and we automatically jump to a death sentence. But actually, and we'll talk about this as we discuss this more, you have to shift your perspective into thinking of it as a chronic illness and something that you're going to manage for the rest of your life, right? That like you're going to manage to avoid Growing tumors again because you have a predisposition to them. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I think at the time for me,
1: it was only about a year after my mum had passed away, and I was still so grief stricken mm. uh, that I didn't really think too much about the cancer diagnosis. Mm. I think I also think it's a lot more difficult to watch someone you love be diagnosed mm-hmm. with the the C word or anything else that could be terminal. Then when when it's yourself, you feel you have a bit more control. Or it, for me, it wasn't as scary. Uh, people have different experiences, um, and it also wasn't as scary because they they told me that I didn't need to have chemotherapy mm-hmm. or radiation, and and I was always scared by chemotherapy right. um, without ever really having known what it was in uh, in the past.
0: And, but your mum had had chemo, right? Had she had, chemo, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, but that hadn't worked for her, mm. unfortunately. So I had. Um, a lumpectomy to remove the two tumors and the surrounding precancerous cells. Mm. They didn't get the circumference. So I had to have a second one of those. And following that, they still didn't get all the precancerous cells, which was when I was advised to have a mastectomy on the left side. Mm. Uh, And I elected to have a double mastectomy because I was told that I had a 28% chance of it coming back in the right side. Mm. Um, After the, double mastectomy. Um, I was put on a hormone drug, hormone regulating drug, very common for breast cancer and pretty much, you know, checked out of the hospital. That was it. It They weren't like,
0: we'll see you in two weeks for your follow-up. We'll see you in three months for follow-up ultrasound. There was none of that.
1: There was, you know, I was put onto exercise programs and pink Pilates and mindfulness and lots of great supportive cancer community-free programs. Sure. Uh, but from a medical perspective, they sort of told me to crack on with the rest of my life then. Mm. And, you know, I
0: did. Okay. So you were basically sent on your way and left your own devices after the double mastectomy. Yeah. That's and what. you'd had the breasts replaced as well, like you'd had cosmetic surgery as well?
1: Yeah. I had some a reconstruction done as mm-hmm. well.
0: So at this point, like if you didn't – if someone didn't know you, they wouldn't have known – that you had anything going on.
1: Gosh, no. Like yeah. no, I didn't look unwell.
0: And you didn't really lose a lot of hair? All oh, well, we're getting well, I, into that. That hasn't happened yet.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's right. I'm jumping so, ahead. <laughs> I look I mean I looked normal. I I was unlucky. After yeah. that I ended up back in hospital with an infection here and Yeah. this and that there. It kept seemed was kind of like the the bad luck broken record for a while. Mm. I suffered like really bad abdominal pains. Mm um for for months and I kept going back thinking it could be related it it seemed like how could it not be related to have mm. these pains so soon after the surgery and the diagnosis
0: and knowing that it was a hormonally focused cancer as well right yeah yeah
1: um this went on for months and I was put on a variety of painkillers and sent to psychology and made to feel a little hysterical to be honest mm-hmm. um before I was diagnosed with Endometriosis.
0: Okay, so this is like a whole thing. When this when you told me this part of your story, I was like, oh hell no. So you went to several doctors and you were being seen at one of the leading cancer care facilities in Australia. And you went to your doctors there and said, I've got these abdominal pains. And you kept going back saying I've got abdominal pains, just like you went saying there's something weird in my chest. There's something weird in my heart. Right. You knew before everyone else did, because you know your body better than anyone else. So you kept going back. And one doctor said, go, go see a therapist. Yeah. And so you were written off as hysterical in that way. Um, and finally, what happened?
1: Well, I got sort of, you know, bounced around between the cancer hospital and the women's hospital. Um, no one wanted to seem to take too much responsibility for it until mm. finally, um, I complained so much of the pain, which was debilitating. I mean, I was hospitalized over Christmas. Into emergency with the pain. And finally, uh, I had a laparoscopy, keyhole mm-hmm. surgery, and I had endometriosis. And, Unbelievable. Um, as it happened, the cancer drug that I was on, the hormone regulating drug,
0: mm.
1: caused the endometriosis, but I hadn't been advised that that was a risk.
0: Well, this is the other thing is that. I mean, and I'm sure that this is the thing with any of these drugs, everyone's going to have a different experience of them. It doesn't mean that it's going to cause everyone to have endometriosis. Yeah, true. Certainly not a man. But, you know, um, the fact that you were given a drug that had serious side effects and you were never advised of the side effects by your medical team or the possible side effects. And wasn't it one of like three different drugs that you could possibly take? Yeah, there was, well. there, was a, there was another
1: option, um, mm-hmm. but- it wasn't really offered to me as another option mm. i i think um even after the diagnosis that that surgery happened at a different hospital and i tried to inquire as to the relativeness to my drugs that i was taking they were like oh well don't worry about this now just worry about the cancer and go back to that hospital so i felt a bit like a ping pong yep. um patient Um, to use that term, but
0: no, that's used. We use that a lot in, in like people with chronic illness, especially ones you can't see, like endometriosis is like one of the biggest, you know, um, like culprits. It's, that's the often the experience. And especially when you're a female, you know, like a lot of us have a thing where like we're not heard or understood at first. We're written off as hysterical. You're sent to different doctors before someone will believe you. And of course, this isn't just for that women have this experience but you know not i common. mean it was
1: um it's a very common drug to be given mm. and you know following the endometriosis um
0: but also i guess Sorry to cut you off, but okay. there's also there was no way for you to make a direct link between the drug causing the endometriosis no. and you getting the endometriosis because you'd gone through so many other different medical procedures at that point too, right? So there was no direct link, so there was no way for you to be like, let me sue the medical system, let me sue the drug company because there there's no direct link that no. was trackable.
1: That's right. It certainly yeah. wasn't made clear to me. And if I was aware of that, when I had the pains that matched those of endometriosis, I would have been able to – connect the dots and advocate for myself at the time but that mm. took months of being in severe pain and being subsequently on excessive amounts of painkillers nerve mm. medications um mostly futile because they weren't targeting any of the causes yeah uh, which was frustrating for me uh, just after i had my laparoscopy um the very same week and as it happened 12 months to the day since my double mastectomy surgery, mm. uh, I was diagnosed with a recurrence of breast cancer again. Mm. And and that obviously happened while I was on the drug that was supposed to prevent the cancer from um, growing or recurring. Mm. And that recurrence also happened in my breast, mm. despite the fact that I had silicon implants. hmm so how did you
0: find it? Did you feel that there was something or was it in a follow-up ultrasound or something? No,
1: I I felt that there was a lump. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, I'd sort of almost been signed out of the yeah. of the breast ward at that stage and interestingly the first time I I had cancer and found the two tumors there was no lump whatsoever. So it was just that feeling that I had in my heart and the tumors were so far from the surface that there was no way I could have felt them. Mm. I just had the feeling right of something unusual uh, whereas the second time I could feel the lumps on the surface um, because they were being pushed up by the silicon implant they were right. they were above that. So you know, um, prior to that, I I was sort of under the impression that if you if you have the chop and if you make that decision, your chances, you're good, to of, go. you're good to go. And then I was just 34 years old when I, when I had my second breast cancer diagnosis. Yeah.
0: Now, when they give you the second diagnosis, they automatically put you at a later stage, don't they? Cause they're already concerned that it's a recurrence. Yeah. So I was,
1: um, told that it, it wasn't, um, an absolute, um, diagnosis that either it, it had been a some cells they had missed during surgery that mm-hmm. had grown back, or it could have been, you know, a metastasis of something again, which puts you at stage four. Right. And there was no way definitively of deciding which one of those that it was. But it um, also
0: means that their treatment was going to be more aggressive regardless.
1: Far more aggressive after that, because yeah. it's very unusual for someone like myself to be diagnosed at 33 in the first place when I'm not a carrier of the. BRCA gene.
0: Which you were tested for because of all this and your family's been tested. and That's right. Yeah. So I
1: had no known predisposition to breast cancer. So 33 was young to get it and to get it again at 34, 12 mm-hmm. months to the day of the surgery yeah, was um, was unusual and it was, it was taken very seriously by the oncologists there mm-hmm. in Melbourne. I was upped instantly to senior oncologists and then ultimately given the the full treatment so
0: the chemo and the radio
1: maximum yeah maximum well chemotherapy first three months of chemotherapy two types of chemotherapy at once and um, then maximum radiation for a five-week period and my drugs were changed so then I was changed t- to a different type of hormone therapy mm. which only works in postmenopausal women which means I take an injection every 28 days. We did it yesterday. We did, <laughs> um, Nurse Lauren. <laughs> uh, we so I take an injection every 28 days to put me into a medically induced menopause, and that allows me to take another cancer drug, which is an aromatase inhibitor.
0: But before you did all of that, you had to you had to freeze your, freeze your eggs, didn't you? Yes, because I did. It, because the idea being that like. If you want to have children in the future, you're going to have to harvest them now while they're healthier before the chemo and the radiation, right? That's right. So you had to go through that whole process with four months, which Over. probably didn't seem like a big deal after the cancer and the endometriosis and everything, but you know, is still a quite a complicated and difficult process. So you went through that whole process, had your eggs harvested. No big whoop. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose in the scheme of
1: things, um, yeah, having sort of children wasn't something at the top of my agenda to be thinking about, but, but
0: they they made you think about it, didn't yeah. they? Yeah,
1: and look, it was great because that was offered to me at no cost. Um, Which is amazing. And that's without insurance. So mm-hmm. I have to I have to be grateful for the level of care and um what's available in Australia. Yeah. Uh and now of course that I've had all of the poison, I'm pleased to know I've got my 33-year-old eggs yeah sitting in a freezer somewhere yeah should I need to call on them
0: yep well that's the thing you left the option open yeah because you're now on this drug where you have to basically be in medically induced menopause for five more or four more years right yeah so five years
1: in total before they would technically refer to me as being in remission right um although that's a very fluid term, mm. I'm sure you know, it's, it, it's not really a definitive thing and it varies a lot for types of cancer and what type of treatment you've had and how that can be measured. Yeah. Uh, so another four years in the, in the menopause yep. and on the drugs and, you know, hopefully at the end of that, uh, there's options yeah, for be
0: in the clear. Yeah. So, um, one of the, the big reasons for your trip over here to the States, because you were stopping through en route elsewhere, was that you had started to explore integrative medicine, right? So in terms of the steps that you're taking to control your health from this point onward, um, how did you get introduced to integrative medicine? What was sort of the journey? I know you love that word. This is Claire's least favorite word <laughs> is journey when it comes to health issues. <laughs> Putting me on the spotlight, but it's true. It's true. <laughs> Like, I, and I get it because it can sound so so contrived, you know. Yeah, I think I think that's probably why. Yeah. I mean, each to their own. Each to their own, exactly. But tell me how that all materialized—that you you went from chemo and radiation, where you were also wearing that the the freezing skull cap to keep your hair, most of which you've kept, which is good. But how did that all play out? Well, I think um, the first
1: time I was diagnosed with cancer, I, you know, I stayed positive and I tried a ketogenic diet and I mm. rushed out and filled my fridge with organic vegetables that subsequently went off a week later.
0: <laughs> uh, you weren't told to just change your lifestyle.
1: No, I, I, I ultimately, I listened to the doctors at the cancer hospital in Melbourne to the oncologists. It's a very impressive building mm. with very impressive practitioners. And I deferred entirely to that Orthodox Western medicine that was made available. I also mm. felt like that's what the people around me were supporting me to do. Right. Um, sure. I went and got some herbs from a Chinese doctor and, you know, I remember you doing that. Went yeah. organic, this and that, but ultimately I deferred to them, and mm. I didn't really think outside of the box of that orthodox approach because it seemed so impressive, and it it was a bit frightening to do so. Um, mm. Whereas the second time I I had a cancer diagnosis so soon afterwards mm. uh, it was a bit of a shock, and then I'd had the endometriosis episode mm. in in between. I um, I sort of thought something's got to change here, Mm. you know.
0: Fool me once, clever.
1: Well, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right? Mm. And I had randomly been at a friend's wedding uh, in Australia and overheard a woman discussing chemotherapy at the wedding in the bathrooms, and I sort of, you know said hello and had a chat and she suggested to me oh if you if you've finished your treatments you must go to to see these doctors these integrative medicine doctors and you must get a test a a circulating tumor cell test because otherwise you won't really know if your treatments worked or not and you know it's great and I I'd never heard of this and I sort of it stuck in my mind Mm. and then once I started the the chemotherapy because I didn't really think that there was an option not to I I thought it would yeah. be silly to choose not to. And, um, you know, I started it. Yeah. And it was pretty horrific. I did yeah. the scalp cooling,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: which was very cold, but it is an option. And then I, then I attended to some integrative doctors in Melbourne. You found NEAM, right? Yeah. The National Institute of Integrative Medicine mm. in Melbourne. Uh, it's not free like everything else. Yeah. So you do, there is a cost that you incur. Uh, but, Immediately, um, I was having chemo at the time and I remember I I saw the GP there and I saw the naturopath there and I got given a bunch of supplements to take and including the recommendation of CBD uh, mm. oil or medical marijuana. Um, and the very next cycle of chemo I had, just on the handful of natural supplements and the side effects were far less aggressive. Mm. And I remember thinking to myself, gosh, why the hell didn't the oncologists tell me right. about these things that can make something so aggressive and painful so much less aggressive and painful? Mm. I mean, sure, there were a couple of things they mentioned, but these were sort of simple things, and I knew from that moment that I was on a good thing yeah. with, with these people, and um, they were much more open, and they explained to me the GPs there um so much more about how cancer works, and I'd already had cancer for a year at this stage. They educated you as a patient. I didn't really know anything about the science of it. Yeah. Um, Which sounds silly when I say it out loud on on air.
0: (laughs) No, but but I think that's really common. A lot of us, like something happens and we don't know which way's up. Yeah. And something like cancer, which is like you hear the word cancer and you go chemo and radiation. Like you don't really... No, in general conversation or general knowledge like alternative treatments necessarily you know because those are so wide and varying i think but also because that's just the standard orthodox western medicine approach yeah most said.
1: doctors they're not encouraging you in that environment to to go out and seek alternative treatment and they 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 warn that medicines can interfere and Mm. and such but I found that all the integrative practitioners were well educated and they were cancer specialists and super aware of what did or didn't interact and they weren't going to put you on
0: anything that did yeah um wasn't there some episode where you went there and they laughed about something about well that's true yeah I was I love that story
1: (laughs) I was um you know I I've always asked a lot of questions at the hospital and I've always been fortunate enough to bring great friends along with me who've supported me in asking those questions and taking those notes. And uh, when I was told I had to have the chemo and radiation and so on, you know, I asked a lot of questions and one of the main things I was concerned with was, okay, I'll do all your chemo. Mm -hmm. I've done all your surgery and I'll do all your chemo and all your radiation and take all these drugs. And then my question was, and how will you measure after I am administered all that poison back to back, how will you measure if that has worked, mm. if that's had an effect? And the answer was, well, we won't measure if it's worked. This is
0: the answer from the oncologist. Mm-hmm.
1: And there's no way that we can measure if it works. Um, And I was shocked by that. And I said, well,
0: mm.
1: you know, uh. So it could come back despite having all of this at any time, which at this stage I knew it probably could, seeing that mm-hmm. i had the double mastectomy and then had the cancer in my breast again. Yeah. Uh, so um, I was shocked to hear that they said there's a high chance, I'm very high risk at 34 that it could come back. Yeah. And if it did come back somewhere else in my body, I would, a, a metastasis. I would be ultimately deemed a terminal patient. I would no longer be treated as a curable patient mm. and I may receive treatments to lengthen my life, but basically I had one foot in the grave.
0: Which and- is like, what does that do to your mindset aside from like, I mean, I can't even, I can't even imagine being told that.
1: Well, it's just that you're going to walk around in fear that every time you have a pain in your knee yeah, or a pain in your head or a pain in your arm that, oh, that's the cancer, it's spread and, you know. See you later. Your time's yeah. up. I mean, when I explained that to my integrative medicine um, GP at NEAM, that experience of asking those questions, and she's a been a doctor for a number of years. Yeah. Um, very experienced and well traveled and authored books and so on. And I explained that they they told me that they would treat me as incurable and I would be terminal, and she actually just laughed in my face. I
0: think that's fantastic. That's the best kind of laughing in your face you can have, right? (laughs) She couldn't believe that That they they were telling me that.
1: Mm -hmm. And um, while all the integrative doctors never tried to sway me or convince me not to have the chemo or radiation, Mm -hmm. they never did that. They respected those choices, and they just tried to – um, supplement me with different things and offer me extra tests and points of view and educate mm. me and they certainly made me realize that it's you know one thing to be to listen to an expert's diagnosis, but it, but it's really another thing to listen to their prognosis. Mm. And, uh, that was the day I gave up listening mm. to the prognosis from the orthodox doctors because it wasn't going to get me anywhere.
0: Yeah. But that's been a huge part of what you've gone through has been mindset. Um, again, we're going to get into that, but tell us more because you started diving into, um, integrative medicine at home and then you decided to take this trip. So, how did that all happen?
1: Right. So, I um, sought a lot of great integrative um, complementary treatments mm. uh, to support me through the chemo and then the radio, the radiation, and um, after that. And it was, it was costly. Mm. So, during that time and early on in that um, phase, I had a great bunch of friends and family mm-hmm. that I'm fortunate to be surrounded by who put on a Massive. fabulous yeah. party in Melbourne. It was um, called the Big C. It was called for Claire the Claire
0: and Cancer. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: um, and that was a great night, which raised quite a bit of money, mm. which was fantastic. And that was able to help pay for all of those um, integrative treatments right. that helped me through all the chemo and the radiation. Um, and I also had – more funds left over from that because a lot of the treatments, even though they're in, you know, at a great place, you know, they're costly. And so I decided that with also the advice and supervision of my main practitioner at NIEM that it was that I was going to go abroad and seek some additional treatment Mm. Uh, and I had the funds to do that from the GoFundMe, from right. the big C party. Yeah. So I was very fortunate to do that. And one of the things that was also important for me after all that treatment, which had spread sort of, you know, a year and a half at this stage with the two diagnoses and the endo and mm. was just to actually have a break from it mm. where your life is not constantly controlled by this appointment, that appointment, this appointment, you know. Yeah. So getting away was really important and – um I researched with a friend. Um, I wanted to go to an integrative clinic. There are a lot of great clinics abroad. Um, it's always good to be mindful that everything's not in the bubble that you yeah. of your neighborhood. Um,
0: and then sometimes going abroad, even with the flights and the accommodation and the living expenses and the medical expenses can be cheaper than oh, it was, doing it at home. Yeah, it was far cheaper. I Ultimately,
1: I chose to go to a clinic um, in Colombia in Cali Mm.
0: and... That's run by Cuban doctors.
1: Yeah, it's a Cuban Mm. medical institute there. I'd always had, not that I've been to Cuba yet, but Mm -hmm. I've always had um, an admiration for the medical system in Cuba, which is arguably... Socialist. socialist and arguably one of the best systems in the world. Mm. Uh, So you certainly get a lot of good doctors coming out of there and they train a lot of people from all over the world in Cuba. Also a lot of Cuban doctors have left Cuba and set up clinics in neighboring countries, which are a lot more accessible mm. to foreigners for, um for ease yeah. and for reasons of capitalism and so on that we weren't going well, to. One, but-
0: one aspect of that, that we did talk about before this interview was the the tie into the pharmaceutical industry with the medical industry, right? That like in Cuba, that's the ties to the pharmaceutical industry are less toxic You'll forgive the pun, you know, in the sense that in a country where the capitalist system doesn't exist in the same way, these pharmaceutical companies can't make money in the same way because of the particular regulations. Yeah. Well, they don't
1: have the monopoly. Yeah. Because the system doesn't allow it. Right. Um, And that's something that, you know, you and I've talked about and I've come to in hindsight, come to think about, mm. um, originally I wanted to see Cuban doctors just simply because I thought they were the best. Or, however, it's inextricably linked with the system that has afforded them to be such yeah. such in that society. Uh, but you know, and I thought, you know, you've, I've had cancer twice. I'm I'm 34. Like you've got to do something a bit more extreme. You've got to. Go and get another opinion and a different mm. one. Just go to the other side of the world and see what someone else says because mm. I didn't want to kick myself for not doing it later. Right. I didn't want to have a third diagnosis and think, well, why didn't I go? Mm. And sometimes I think in people's, you know, health quests or healing, it you know, you have a draw to certain things. You have certain things that you feel might help you. Or mm. that you feel you know about your body prior to them, and I just I ran with that feeling. I, yeah. I I knew the integrative stuff was great, and then I was interested in the perspective of the Cubans, and with a dear friend, we did some who helped me with the Spanish and the researching mm. um, to find a place. We uh we found a clinic in Colombia where I'd always wanted to visit as well. So that yeah. was that was a great experience. I went for two weeks of treatment there mm. just uh, recently. And what does the treatment involve? Um, so they had a lot of treatments that were the same as what I would have received at the NIM clinic in Melbourne mm. uh for a fraction of the price right really a fraction I mean that's being in a developing country I suppose mm. um so I kept up some of the treatments such as um intravenous vitamins mm-hmm. So drips of particularly vitamin C is cytotoxic in high doses, and magnesium, lots of other vitamins um, intravenously. I was in a hyperbaric oxygen tank uh, for an hour minimum every mm. day. Um, that's high, oxygen under high pressure, mm. uh, which you know can cleanse the cells. Mm-hmm. Is the is the idea, um, and and expedite healing of of cells um, and cancer is ultimately defects in in your DNA Mm. that your own body doesn't recognize as being a defect. So we fight tumors every day, you and I right now. That's um, what natural
0: killer cells are for.
1: Yeah. um, But sometimes when they're cancerous, our body doesn't recognize that. And Mm. then that's the defect. So the hyperbaric oxygen was to cleanse the cells. I had two different types of immunotherapy while I was there, which is something I didn't – wasn't offered to me um, in the Western treatment in Melbourne. Mm. Uh, I feel it will be the future of cancer treatment really because Mm. it targets cancerous cells um, without all the damage to healthy Mm. cells that chemotherapy and radiation cause. Yep. Um, What
0: not one of them the the blue scorpion thing? Is that the –
1: Yeah, This thing is is so
0: cool. (laughs) So –
1: um, that's an interesting one because it, it touches on, um, what we were talking about with the pharmaceutical companies in Cuba. So there's, I'm on a drug, immunotherapy drug. I'm still taking it mm. called Vitadox. And that is a derivative of a blue scorpion. I won't even try and pronounce the, the scientific name of that, but mm. you know, you can look it up, blue scorpion from Cuba. And that has a lot of benefits, it's been used in Cuba for years and years and tested for a long time. And
0: they're only found in Cuba, these
1: scorpions. Yeah, yeah. to my knowledge, they're, they're regional there and um, they're local there. And mm. they're. All, it's actually used for other illnesses such as arthritis mm. and as an analgesic and for a variety of different illnesses. But mm. certainly for cancer, the, the concept is that the venom from the blue scorpion has the capacity to target cancer cells specifically and kill those without causing any damage whatsoever to any other cells in the body. not amazing? It's had fantastic results with cancer and other drugs over the decade plus that it's been used and tested. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, in Cuba it's like less than a dollar a, yeah. a go. Um, and people in the streets apparently just pick the scorpions up and, and try and get them to I see like, them. the pain that. and things. <laughs> it's crazy. But, um, it's an interesting one. It, it was only about 90 American dollars, US dollars right. for me to, to get that one. But it would
0: have been a dollar for you. And Vegeta. that,
1: yeah. And that's a full like two month three-month course of it for that price. And that's an interesting one because it's so inexpensive because the pharmaceuticals haven't gotten onto it yet because it's a Cuban thing. So it'll be interesting to see what they'll charge or or if they get their hands on it. So that's one immunotherapy Mm. drug and I'm still taking that. And the other immunotherapy drug I took is called Transfactor 4. Mm. It's a derivative of the bovine, so like from a cow's immune system and Mm. also from a chicken's egg yolk immune system yeah. a combination and that was a series of, of shots mm. so I took that while I was there as well so there were interesting things that I hadn't heard about and yeah. um why wouldn't you? yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> if they don't have negative side effects you might as well give it a go yeah, yeah.
1: it's targeted like all immu- yeah. all immunotherapy um mostly is yeah targeted which is why you know I think it's the future and it is being used in western yeah in western medicine as well but I just don't think for breast cancer in Australia yeah. it's quite caught up yet so they were some of the many things. I had um a very interesting experience. I saw a variety of doctors over the two weeks, and uh, the lead doctor was a Cuban woman, uh, Dr. Griselle. It was interesting. The, the first day I arrived at the clinic in Cali, I went to see her mm. and sat down in her office, and the first thing she said to me was, you know, you, so... Breast cancer. Yeah, she didn't really have a history of my um, Your illness. My illness. Uh, so you know, everything was from scratch once I arrived, and uh, she was getting the brief history of my illness for her empty file. And she asked me, you know, breast cancer. Yet yeah, she wanted to know what side, mm. what what breast it was in, and I explained it was the left breast. And the next question was, do I have children? And the answer to that is no. Mm. And the third question was, how is your relationship with your mother? Oh, my God. How did she know? Well, it just sent a a chill down my spine Mm. because personally, um, being sick, following the loss of my mother, I had always felt inside me somewhere that there was a connection between those two things, between losing my mother and between falling ill. And it wasn't something that had ever really been raised or discussed at length with any health practitioners um certainly, the integrative doctors in Melbourne believed in a homeostasis and everything affecting your wellness overall and mm. including emotional health and the effect of trauma and post traumatic stress but but just as soon as she asked the question, I thought gee why is why is she asking that mm. and um You know, ultimately because she believes and from her very experienced background, the uh, belief is that there is a direct connection between breast cancer and both your mother and children should you have them. Mm. The causes are, are related to those relationships or traumas or emotional issues or traumas related to those relationships.
0: This episode is sponsored by Ember Labs, creators of the Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat-sensitive, and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to invisible Pod, they are offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com. That's E-M-B-R-labs.com. Enter code INVISIBLE at checkout and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. And that ties into the work of you were telling me about a, a German doctor who's, you know, pretty controversial. Um, in the 80s, I guess. Yeah. He had sort of like pinpointed these different kinds of cancers and how they were each linked to different kinds of emotional experiences. And he was sort of taking an integrative approach to treatment, wasn't he? So I, I imagine a, a lot of that underpins the work with these integrative doctors that you were doing.
1: Certainly. But yeah, it was very interesting. I hadn't heard about him before. Mm. Um, and a lot of the treatment at the clinic pointed to – emotional
0: well there was regressive therapy there too right like yeah and that the, was it. there was a holistic approach in that sense like there was therapy as part of the treatment when you were there there was certainly therapy as part of the treatment mm.
1: and um and nutritional yep. advice and you know supplements were given and probiotics and supplements and the immunotherapy and, and you they know, said no more milk no more milk definitely no more milk mm. anyone who's worried about getting breast cancer or who's had it give up the milk Mm. Um, and yeah so there was there was a general consensus between all of the doctors I saw at the clinic that and especially the lead doctor who asked me that about my mum on the first day um, there was a general consensus that um, an emotional trauma was likely to do with my mother was was the underlying root cause of the cancer and that if I could sort through that I would be able to heal myself, Mm. Um, you know, not in a pigeonhole because it came with the diet and the exercise plan and the immunotherapy and and so on. But the regressive therapy dealt with that a lot. It was a very interesting approach. Regressive therapy I didn't know much about.
0: Yeah, I don't either.
1: And, I mean, I think in a layman's way, the best way I would describe it is um, like a cross between Reiki and hypnosis. Mm. You know, it's so dealing with energy, but also regressing into your memory, um, in a guided mm. medi- meditative type, type of situation and rebuilding, um, relationships with your memories through mm. that experience. Uh, it was a phenomenal experience and I didn't, I was a bit, I thought it was a bit questionable to begin with, but then I had an amazing experience doing that. So it's, but you gave me. it a
0: try and that's the big thing, isn't it? You said yes to the experience of giving it a go. Yeah
1: well, I think, you know, if you have flown to the other side of the world at that point, what aren't I going to try? The blue scorpion, you know,
0: (laughs) I I don't want to get cancer again. (laughs) But this has also been, I mean, one of the remarkable things I've always felt when when you told those of us who are close to you that you had cancer the first time. And then of course, the second time, you know, when we were given the news, you were very like, I'm going to be fine. Like you'd decided you were going to be fine from the very beginning. And of course there've been moments of of unease with that decision, really, you know, but um you've always been someone who's like, yep, yeah, I'll give it a go. Like there's nothing you won't try. And I think that's a huge part of how you've found all of these other kinds of therapies, how you are working through the healing now is that you're saying yes to things instead of saying no to things and sort of shutting things down because you've made a decision against it you're actually embracing experiences that you may not have ever had and in a way the cancer's brought that to you hasn't it oh
1: definitely there's there's a whole load of silver lining yeah there's so much silver lining um you know when things happen I'm a believer in things happening for a reason and Mm. you can always turn it around a negative situation you can turn it around and take something positive out of it I mean that's life yeah you know uh so I'm grateful many regards mm. for my diagnosis and I think you know the first time I just didn't quite get there I was positive yeah. and I thought I'd get better but I hadn't quite addressed I hadn't quite looked down the barrel of grief and I hadn't quite looked down the barrel of cancer and squared up against it and, been and you're like, still doing it hang on a minute and that you know it's an ongoing thing like you yeah. said yourself, cancer is a chronic illness um it took me a while to figure that out too because you but know, that's
0: a, that's like an earth-shattering realization to me yeah and
1: I, I and I I had that explained to me the first the first consultation I had with an integrative GP, and mm. uh, she used a lovely um, analogy for me to explain the cancer, and that was of an apple tree. Mm. And she drew a picture. So if you can imagine this, uh, if a if a tree grows, um, and then one branch produces a bad apple, you can cut that apple off, and you can poison the branch but it doesn't mean a bad apple is not going to grow on the other side of the tree. Mm. And if you want to free the tree from bad, bad apples,
0: apples,
1: you need to treat the tree from the root up. Yeah. And that's how you'll, you know.
0: That's really an explanation of integrative medicine. That's not just cancer. It's, yeah. Well, I mean health. It's yeah. a health approach. And and that's what cancer
1: ultimately is, you know. I mean it's it's – it's an immune system default. It's a DNA default. It's a, oh, and that's another a scary thing. word. But it's yeah. But, but it's but it's a chronic illness, and, and the tumors are a, a symptom mm. of chronic illness, and that chronic illness is deep seated in you know your environment, both external to your body and internal to your body mm. um, and mind. So I I always remembered that analogy, and I always uh, you know I will remember that because I think. That was, that was it with the cancer, you know. I could chop the tumors off, which I did, and I could poison them with the chemo and then again with the radiation, you know. But it doesn't mean that it's another one, another tumor can't pop up again somewhere. I need to really deal with the root causes in an overall holistic,
0: which is like, Mind Balance. and matter. It's the, yeah. the physical and the mental. The other thing we didn't mention as part of the treatment that you were doing in Cali was the DNA workup. Which, but you're waiting on like a full DNA workup. Yeah, as well.
1: So that's super interesting. I was very excited to have that done. Mm. And DNA testing is just so easy to have done because you just swab your mouth and yep, it's all off. So but it's I'm,
0: expensive in a lot of cases. It so. is.
1: Um I had full genomic mapping done. Uh, in Cali for one thousand six hundred US. Mm. I mean, they're just figures. People can find all different things and yeah. You can't put a price on health, but everyone's in a different situation. I was fortunate enough, as I mentioned, to have the GoFundMe money to pay for that because mm. I haven't um worked in in the time. Um we're gonna
0: get to that. Too. You know, so <laughs> yeah. so
1: anyway, the DNA mapping is going to give me um a full comprehensive map of my DNA, which is going to list, um, predispositions predispositions to other illnesses, including cancer occurrences. Whether certain
0: medications will work for you. Yeah. So
1: it's going to give me a list of hundreds of medications and whether or not I have a, um, pathological, pathological response to them, because that's something about having the chemo that has always, um, concerned me was that they just chalk it up and give it to you and there are actually tests out there to see whether or not you'll have a pathological response to chemotherapy mm. drugs of which there's at least a dozen available mm. um, but they didn't do that they just gave it to me i suppose for cost um, so when i get the results of this dna test it's going to list not just every type of chemotherapy but everything from paracetamol to antibiotics to a variety hundreds of mm. different pharmaceutical uh, medicines and whether or not my DNA has a pathological response to those medicines. And if so, what dose I require. That's so amazing. that's going to be phenomenal and life-changing yeah. and I'm going to get and foods, nutrition, food, um, foods, how I process those, what's good for me and what isn't, um, you know, superfoods are superfoods for some people. So mm. chia seeds might be a superfood for you and not for me, but goji berries might be for me and not for you. So I'll have a map of which ones are and which ones aren't and I won't be wasting money on expensive items um if if I know it's not going to have any effect for me mm. so it's very exciting it'll have an ancestral part I'll see my whole background um as well as what types of exercise um mm. affect my cells Uh, so it's not the same for everyone as you can imagine, Mm. you know, cardio weights, all of that. So it's really going to give me a plan that will come with the results of how to best manage myself into the future to prevent any other illnesses I may be predisposed to and a recurrence of cancer or generally keep my, my, um, Health at prime, so it's yeah. fantastic that that science is so far advanced. And I yeah. mean, I didn't really know about anything like that until I was in contact with these doctors in Colombia. So that's something to look forward to getting the results. But it's of.
0: amazing because that really, to me, sounds like it's the epitome of preventive medicine. That if we all had access to testing like that, which at this point is still very costly, if we all had access to testing like that. We would be avoiding chronic illness in many cases. We'd be avoiding taking medications on an experimental basis and we'd be able to target our treatments more. It just, it's so sensible. So it's really interesting that this comes up because, you know, it makes me think, gee, it's worth just getting the genetic testing if you can afford to get it done as a preventive measure so that you've got a fuller picture of what your body is, is capable of doing. And handling. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fascinating
1: really. I mean, of course, it's important. For me, I didn't hesitate to yeah. get that because I've, you know, as you know, had all of this problem with illness at a young age. So for me, knowing what I'm predisposed to is something I would like to know. Yeah. So I can try and manage it. However, I think it's completely understandable that a lot of people might not want to know Mm. because it could change the way they live and put them, you don't want to live in fear of things. You know, I think there's a combination between what you can know and managing that but Mm. also managing yourself from a holistic sense and a, you know, a mental health and a mind, body, soul sense without Mm. that information which could also overall prevent you from getting things. So, you know, I mean it's um, for someone like me who's been sick, I think definitely I'd like to know, but I can appreciate that for some people, maybe they wouldn't want to know that information or, mm. or they wouldn't want to know parts, but other parts would be helpful. Yeah. You know?
0: Absolutely. And you've also, um, you've gotten into um, meditation as well, which I mean, and this is one where it's like, we don't need the genetic test to tell us that there are plenty of scientific studies out there that tell us how good meditation is for the cells in the body. Um, and you had a friend introduce you to Dr. Joe Dispenza. So you've been reading some of his books and doing some of those meditations. And that's something you can cont- plan to continue to do as well,
1: isn't Definitely- it? yeah i mean that's been brilliant i've mm. you know
0: i dabbled in and
1: out of meditation over the years transcendental meditation and other types each to their own of course mm. um but only in recent times have i been introduced to by a friend to jo- dr joe dispenser as you mentioned and i'm finding it phenomenal just the scientific side it's interesting for someone who was never really that interested in science in high school i've done a full 360 and I'm now fascinated by science because it's affected me so much through my health. Uh, We've turned into
0: science nerds. (laughs) I know, we
1: have. Who knew? Yeah. Um, But that's phenomenal because I I do ultimately believe that you do have the power physically to heal yourself. Yeah. And, uh, you know.
0: You were talking about like doing a visualization of like imagining your body killing cancer cells. And watching them sort of explode and disappear and how even that kind of mindfulness practice is something, if you're able to continue to do it, that could be really helpful. Oh, look, I do
1: not think that the, um, the power of visualization mm. and the power of, um, willing things to come to you and emotions and, and the power of positivity should be underestimated at all. There mm. are n- a number. A great number of studies out there, yeah. um, that evidence this sort of thing.
0: Some of them, Dr. Joe Dispenza has done himself. Yeah. I yeah.
1: know. I'm giving him a plug, aren't I? Uh-huh.
0: Um, so, yeah, Well, so, we're big fans. So there, there we go.
1: <laughs> fabulous stuff like that. And meditation is great just to keep you, for my, for me, for myself, just to keep me calm and balanced. I mean, mm-hmm. it's got a lot of positive elements to it, whether you do yoga or what they call mindfulness app things yeah. or, you know, Yeah. Transcendental. There's a little variety out there, and I think find uh, what works for you. Can't hurt. Yeah. It doesn't have negative side effects like chemotherapy does. So it's free
0: medicine. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So we've covered a lot about when you realized you were sick, what your diagnosis have been, what steps you've taken to control your health. But let's talk more about um, the people involved in this and sort of the emotional world of it. Did you find that you needed someone to advocate for you? Cause I know you talked about putting your foot, your own foot down with people, but did you find that you needed someone to like come with you to appointments or, um, you know, sort of stick up for you when you were going through all of this? Um, yeah, I think
1: I was very fortunate to have a lot of, friends and great family to offer to support me mm. in a lot of those appointments. And I took them up on it. Although you can't fit all my friends at every doctor's appointment. So you have You're to a bit of too
0: popular. break it to
1: people, <laughs> yeah. um, which isn't to be complained about. That was fantastic to have that support. And
0: But sometimes it was also too much, right? Like well, sometimes you just needed a rest. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and everything, that's normal.
1: Everything's tiring. Everything after, in moderation. At a point, everything in moderation. Yeah. Uh, and I also found that I got um, – A lot of support from the cancer community once I tapped into that, which wasn't really until the second diagnosis. Mm. Because it's great to talk to all your friends who love you, but sometimes it's great to talk to someone else who's had cancer or who's on the same drugs or who's had the same surgery. You know, it's it's important to have people who have a level of understanding. I I have had so many people say to me, "If there's anything I can do, let me know."
0: Because no one knows what to say aside from that. Yeah.
1: And I think that's great to hear that and sometimes there are things people can do uh, but ultimately I think in terms of an advocate it had to be me
0: yeah
1: it had to be me I would definitely point out the the benefit of having a fantastic GP mm. and I was afforded that yeah uh, he was brilliant
0: and this is all because of nationalized health in Australia yeah those. I mean it was all Free. Everything um, that wasn't neem was free.
1: Yeah. And I didn't have insurance because uh, I wasn't working. So, uh, you know, that's certainly important to note. Uh, mm. But my GP was fantastic. Uh, he would text me, email me, drop into my home. He was available 24 hours to me and would skip mm. me through the queue for appointments. And so I certainly think having a good GP is never to be undervalued. And mm. if you don't have a good one, Get find one, one.
0: Yeah, find absolutely. one for yourself.
1: But yeah, I think the advocacy ultimately had to be me. I was fortunate enough to have been raised, you know, to speak up and ask questions and never believe anything someone tells you.
0: Um, Unless you've
1: done the research, yeah. you know, and get a second opinion
0: and whatever. Yeah. So I did do that. Um, but, how, there- but how has that impacted your relationship with yourself? Like, has that increased your confidence or given you more compassion for yourself? Yes, I think I.
1: I don't think I've thought about that. So that's a
0: surprise. Good, that's, a
1: good, <laughs> that's a good question, Lauren. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think it has. I. I think the first time I had cancer, I was sort of I skipped over it. Like, oh, whatever. Be positive. Move on. It's yeah. just a double mastectomy. She'll be right. Just a double mastectomy. <laughs> She'll be <laughs> right. And then when it was the second time, I was like, oh, yeah. Hang on a minute. Yeah maybe that i really real- need to be taking this a bit more seriously and and, yeah. and in the second you know the second time round, i've i've spoken up more and i've reached out to the cancer community more and mm. i've documented more uh, much like yourself having a, a direct experience i have felt like i owe it uh, to myself to have respect for my illness that I've gone through, but also to the community, the cancer community especially and and those interested, the community at large, to try and document um my health quest mm-hmm. and my experiences. Yeah. Uh, because it could be useful for others. Yeah. And I was just lucky that I ran into someone at that wedding who mentioned the clinic and everything, you know, cascaded from there for me with integrative health. But other people wouldn't know about it. I mean, I didn't. Why why would people know? They mm. might not listen to your podcast. Yeah. You know, it's um yeah. it's important, I think, you How know. How dare they?
0: <laughs> How dare they not listen to my podcast?
1: But people should be united, you know, yeah, and absolutely. the you know, the people united will never be defeated, hey? Hey,
0: we've got, to, we've got a football fan. <laughs> share share the knowledge. Yeah,
1: share the knowledge. So I've I've documented more of my Experiences this time and on this trip to Colombia. Especially because ho- it was
0: like the GoFundMe. So you were sort of giving back to the people who had yeah, given to you. As that's well. right.
1: People were interested. Yeah. And instead of exhausting myself by responding to a hundred people's questions on social media or in person about, and then what happened and how was that? And then what, you know, I, if you document it and you try and do that in a nice little form of communication, it's, it's there and it's available for people to access as a resource.
0: And you've done that like on Insta stories and Facebook stories. And it's been really, it was great for me. Cause I was sitting here like, Oh my God, I hope Claire's okay. And I was able to just check your Insta stories every day and not only see all the great things that you were doing at the clinic, but then also like the monkeys in the rainforest and (laughs) like, you know, the beaches that you went to because you turned it into a holiday because you're not going to go that far and not have a little bit of fun. And, you know, like you really did enjoy it and give yourself a vacation. And as you say, that vacation away from the constant barrage of doctor's appointments and opinions from people outside of yourself, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Never underestimate the power of a vacation to heal. Mm -hmm yeah uh a change of scenery a change of mindset uh sunshine swimming in the ocean rainforest nature i was reading an article recently about the the scientific evidence there is to that suggests nature Mm. is a huge health benefit for healing and maintaining good health and wellness so it was fantastic to enjoy those things and you know, it was a road unknown. It was nice to go to Cali where I'd never been and forge relationships with these doctors where no one I knew had been. It was part of the adventure, I suppose. Mm. Um You know, people have a lot of, I suppose, hang or preconceptions about places when they haven't been mm. or medicines or whatever. So I was pleased to be able to go out there and give it a go.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, yeah. Document that to maybe help educate someone else.
0: Yeah. So tell us what a typical day looks like for you now with all the drugs you're taking and how you're having to sort of like time out dosing and all that kind of thing. Um, how how does that play out for you? Um, typical. <laughs>
1: like is there – I know yeah. every time
0: I ask that question, I'm like, well, there isn't a typical, yeah. is there? But, you know. Well, you know,
1: I mean, it's it, it varies. I like to keep it interesting. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah. So
1: uh, – you know, it's quite varied. I do take a lot of supplements and I try and get a lot of good food in. Mm. I'm a big fan of food, as you know, so that's not too <laughs> difficult. Um, and exercise yep. and tick those boxes, you know, between meditation, exercise, eating and my supplements mm. and getting rest in. I'm hoping to return to work soon. So, mm-hmm. um,
0: so when, when you got your diagnosis, you weren't working?
1: No, well, right. I wasn't. I was, a w- I was working actually. I was working at a friend's new restaurant um, in Melbourne helping her out while I applied for, for, um, legal jobs, law jobs, yeah. for professional jobs. Uh, so I was helping out in, in a friend's fabulous restaurant, mm. but I stopped doing that with the diagnosis because of all the surgery I had to have. And I've worked a little intermittently since then, volunteering on refugee camps and yep. doing some volunteer, um, criminal law work but I haven't had a full-time job. Between the death of my mother and then the first diagnosis and the second diagnosis, I haven't got around to starting afresh. The doctors told me when I was going into chemo that uh, they didn't think it would be a good idea for me to get a new job while I had all that treatment, Mm. whereas had I already had a job, um, I could have decreased my hours and maintaining that. Uh, Statistically, people have a better survival rate if they maintain some work. Mm. But I'm looking forward to, to working now. Yeah. After all this, and you get a different perspective on life when, as you know yourself, you go through illness and life changing events. They make you reconsider your priorities and, uh, what is important and what makes you happy. And yeah. So I, I have a fresh look on things, always a fresh look. Yeah. But I, I hope to go back to work
0: soon. And well, and that was something that came up, wasn't it? When you were in Cali about, you know, the concept of going back to work. Cause it's like you want to go back to work, but you had a little bit of anxiety at the thought of going into criminal law work again because there'll they'll be cases you're working on that will be perhaps high stress because the stakes will be high and you'll be concerned for other people. And you were like, oh man, like I could go back to work and it could be stress and will stress actually make me sick again? Yeah, I think stress
1: is something that ha- has definitely been identified time and time again mm-hmm. um, for me with the- this cancer. business and um so it's something that i needed to address and it's a contributing factor Mm. to cancer especially to hormone um based cancers like the one that i have which is estrogen and progesterone positive breast cancer Mm. and you know it's inextricably linked that stress and cortisol and your adrenal glands Mm. um and i've also been diagnosed with adrenal fatigue Uh, but so they're obviously linked to your speed and the pace you operate at and stress and the different modes of brainwaves you can go into alpha beta you know the fight or flight mode contributes to stress and affects your hormones so I knew that it was something I needed to address and I was a bit concerned that going back into a full-time high-paced law job with including the trauma of crime Mm. might impact that but I I raised that with one of the doctors in in Cali and they were quick to assure me that it is something like that wouldn't cause the stress. It's more about my own management of it. So I'm now looking into doing sort of regular yoga Mm. and increasing my meditation and things like that because I feel if you can process and detoxify your body and your mind from the things that it's enduring –
0: like leave it behind. Then it won't have a
1: chance to manifest inside the body. and
0: It's letting it go, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of release and detoxification
1: Mm -hmm. um, from, you know, not just from things you might consume um, or be surrounded by, but, you know, from things you you endure, situations, Mm -hmm. situational trauma and emotional um, experiences. So being able to release yourself from those and participate in yoga and meditation or whatever floats your boat. You know, Mm -hmm. it's different for some people. You might paint you might write a song, you might go to the gym, but just being able to process those stresses yeah, uh, so that they don't toxify your system and manifest into illness, yeah, um, whether it be mental illness or whether it be more cancer or whatever. So I, yeah. I feel positive that I can go back into the legal profession um, and – Whoever's well, listening, are
0: you hiring? Managing nice things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, that I was going to ask you how you balance the demands of work and life, but you'll know once you're working again. But it sounds like you've got a game plan in place, right? For, for getting on that horse and making it happen once you're ready. Um, I know we touched on this because we talked about some of your experiences with some of the doctors in, in your path to diagnosis, but, Have you been frequently confronted and forced to justify your illness to other people because it's not obvious from the outside? And and what do those experiences look and feel like? Yeah, it's interesting
1: you mention it not being obvious from the outside, and Mm. I suppose that's the the link to the Uninvisible podcast itself. Yeah, it's um, it's the preface, I suppose, of why we're here today on the show. Uh, I. Don't think I looked sick. Yeah. I think I looked sick when I um, when was having chemo. chemotherapy. Yeah I didn't look well. I didn't feel well. It was mm. a severe amount of poison, um, carcinogenic poison being injected to your bloodstream. so mm. I didn't I didn't look well on that but if I put makeup on,
0: yeah,
1: um, I looked okay and because I chose to do the scalp cooling, which was a very um, painful um, Mm. option that is available these days in most countries as I know it, um, to freeze your scalp and freeze your hair follicles so that you don't lose your hair during chemo. So I lost a little bit, but not noticeably. So if I walked down the street with makeup on and a positive attitude, there's no reason anyone would have thought I was sick. And the radiation caused terrible extreme burning, uh, to my chest and breast. But of course, if I was wearing clothes, no one would have known for a second that I was ill. Um, sometimes I've thought about would I have been better off or would have my experience been different if I hadn't chosen to freeze my hair follicles and I'd let the hair fall out. Mm. Uh, I was concerned I'd be confronted with myself in the mirror and when it was an option, I took it. Mm. Um, but I think when people have lost their hair on chemo, often it, you can, you can tell that they're sick. Um, did you also not want to be perceived as sick I didn't want to be perceived as as sick and I think although I could have justified um perhaps not doing certain things or canceling on people or events or not making it to as many um outings outings as I might have because of the cancer on the contrary something made me get up and go every time I was like no I'm not I'm not not going because I'm I've got cancer. Don't not invite me. Mm. You know, I, I I would be offended if someone hadn't included me. Mm. I thought, hang on a minute. I'm still me. The yeah. cancer doesn't define me. But it's an interesting balance because on the one hand, I feel like I have been redefined by the cancer, but on the other, I didn't want it to be everything I stood for,
0: right? Uh, you didn't want it to be your identity. That's right, and uh which you it know. very much would have been if you'd lost your hair, probably for sure. You know, that's it's either alopecia or cancer. Often when you see people lose their hair, isn't it? You know, that's right. But there are other reasons, of course, but people know. get quite shocked because I think I'm very pretty casual when I discuss
1: it, and people's oh, why are you in Colombia or why are you doing this? And I'm like, oh yeah, I've had cancer. People sort of
0: yeah freeze
1: and they. They don't know what to do, but that's, I mean, they, they feel awkward. That's, that's reasonable. But that's
0: the thing. Is that on them? Like, do you, do you have to justify, like, if you had people be like, no, you don't have cancer.
1: Yeah, I have. Mm. Or like, really? Or being shocked. I mean, I think one in eight women get breast cancer at some stage in their life. And Mm. I think I noticed a fact on Cancer Research UK uh, just the other week that said one in two people will have cancer at some stage in their life. So I think it's pretty important that people know that, yeah, I've had it mm. and it's not a death sentence. Yeah. It's a chronic illness. Yep. And it can be managed and it's important to be talked about. I I feel I had to do a lot of explaining to people all the time who who weren't educated about it. Um, so it's good to share the knowledge mm. but it could also it was also exhausting for me to repeat the same answers to questions over and over again to people who simply cared
0: yeah and and
1: meant well yeah. um, but
0: that's where it's great the way you manage that when you went to Cali where you were like all right I'll just put it in my stories and people can watch that and then I don't have to update every single person individually well that yeah yeah that, that's what led to that mm. um so that was great but you know, and I I I'm happy
1: to educate people if I, I'm I'm always happy to help, but it mm. can be exhausting when you're going through a lot of treatment, as you know, things that cause ongoing fatigue and nausea and managing such symptoms. It can be exhausting to yeah. constantly be talking about it and focusing on it. And not and, just
0: physically, but emotionally as well. Yeah.
1: it's Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely emotionally. And then that affects the physical and the mm. physical affects the emotional and so it goes. So it can be exhausting and I have done a lot of explaining, but That's why forums like this are great Mm. and people can tap into these resources to get the information they want so people aren't left repeating themselves. We're going to give
0: this link to everyone who donated to the big C. Hi, guys. (laughs) So get the full story. So um has your experience turned into advocacy on a larger scale or or do you have plans to work in the advocacy space because of this? Aside from sharing your story so that, you know, who knows who might listen and 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 be inspired by it. But do you have any plans in that space at all? No yeah. pressure. You don't have to have plans in that space. <laughs>
1: well, I've got you. Yep. You're advocating for me right now, which yes, is ma'am. great. Yep. Uh so I appreciate that. Yeah. Um and I I I feel all of my integrative practitioners are advocates for me on on some level or another, which has been really encouraging and it has been the stark difference between my experience in the orthodox medical system and the integrative medical system. Mm. But I do feel following what I've gone through and the alternative treatments I've had and the knowledge I feel that I've gained, which is an absolute and I am by no means have a scientific background, Mm. Um, although it's improved from previously. Mm. I do feel somewhat of an obligation uh, to share that knowledge in a platform or to make use of that for the benefit of other people, mm. uh, not just that I feel that I owe it to the kind of people that donated to my GoFundMe and got me here, that I might explain what happened for their own interest. or uh, But just I do feel that when you've had an experience and you have something to share it, I feel obliged. I also... Um, as I'm sure the listeners can tell, you know, I have a white privileged background and an educated background. And I think akin to that as well, I feel some level of obligation to try and utilize the benefits I've had or the experiences I've had to, that might be able to help someone. Mm. Um, I don't know about launching into a career, no, um, no, but you know, I, I, I'd like to, yeah, I've got a few ideas in the pipeline, um, I'd yeah. like to contribute to a few groups and the yes. cancer community at least. At large sure. to try and share some of the information I've had.
0: Oh, I'm excited to know how that, <laughs> that all goes. So how important is it that, that we keep talking about invisible or visible illness and disability and, you know, the difference between a chronic illness and a death sentence? You know, do we just keep shouting it from the rafters and hope <laughs> the right people keep listening? How does that look to you? I, I- well, I mean, we can
1: keep shouting as well because mm. that can be fun. Yep. <laughs> um, but I think it's important to keep talking about it, yeah, and that links on to the previous question because mm. I, I that's why I feel it's important because it's easy to have a cancer diagnosis and go, oh, gosh, it's eternal illness, you know, mm. shit. But yeah. it doesn't have to be like that. And you don't need to be scared into oblivion by these doctors. And there are other ways mm. and there are – people you can reach out to and facilities and groups out there. So it's important that people know about those. Yeah. I didn't know about integrative medicine. I didn't even know what it meant. Yeah. I had never had to until mm. I was sick for a second time with cancer. So I think it's important that people are educated about their options mm. and not just the orthodox Western option that is ultimately, you know, a monopoly of the pharmaceutical companies. Mm-hmm. There are alternatives and, you know, overall health and holistic health is the most important thing. It's having that balance. And, you know, I think I'm not saying that I caused my own cancer and I'm not saying it necessarily even could have been prevented. Who knows? You can't answer that. Absolutely. I can't answer it for myself, but I certainly know that after my experiences, I can prevent future recurrences and future illnesses.
0: Well, you can take responsibility for healing.
1: I can yourself. do, yeah. And I can do the best that I can. And mm. I have access to that information. So I think people knowing about that, knowing the link, it's not just potluck. Mm. I had a lot of friends say to me kindly and supportively, Oh, don't, don't blame yourself. It's not your fault. you're just unlucky there's nothing and and I I struggle a little bit with that because on the one hand I don't blame myself and I and I don't I don't think it's my fault but on the other hand I don't think it's it's just random I mean I Mm. think there were things in my life and my lifestyle that caused it to happen for me and I think knowing about that can help prevent illnesses including cancer happen to other people
0: and it'll also help you continue to heal so that's the benefit yeah So uh, I like to wrap up my interviews with some top three lists. All right. And I wondered if you had top three tips for someone who suspects they might have something off, like that person who has that weird pain in their chest. You know, um, what are your tips for those people who are perhaps entering the world of living with illness or invisible illness? What What advice would you give them?
1: Listen to your body. mm. Number one, listen to your body. Uh, you know your body better than anyone. Yeah. Better than any doctor, integrative or otherwise. No one is going to know your body as well as you know your own.
0: Mm.
1: And if you feel like something's up or something's amiss and you don't feel like a practitioner has recognized that, Get a second opinion, get a third, get a fourth. Go back until you're satisfied that Mm. what you've been trying to communicate has been understood. Yeah. Um, That's really
0: good. That's very empowering.
1: uh, Two, following on from that, I would say be open-minded. Be open-minded about integrative health. It's not – And
0: not just integrative, but like uh, alternatives, right? Yeah. be open-minded. And I mean that's what integrative is. It includes all of them. Yeah.
1: Be open-minded to different approaches mm. to health and healing uh, and bear in mind to be open-minded to those ones that don't fund the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, uh, There's a lot of medicines out there that you can take that have 10 beneficial properties and then there's a lot of pharmaceutical drugs that have one beneficial property mm. if it happens to work And 10, 10, negative, but side 10 effects. negative side effects yeah. that can cause
0: you something else. Yeah, So bear that in mind, they're facts. Kima. Hi, Kima. Yeah. We've got your number.
1: Yep. Uh, so with that, with being open-minded, I, I suppose I'd say my third tip is you can heal yourself. Mm. You can heal your body. A diagnosis, you know, is not, not a not prognosis. Yeah. It's a diagnosis. And with that, you can heal yourself. Mm. The body is an amazing tool
0: Well, the mind and where, where the brain's involved especially. you know
1: yeah. it's, it's an amazing tool you can tap into the resources you have right here in your own existence um so yeah yeah you you can heal yourself nothing is a death you know nothing is a death sentence a death sentence yeah. or, a, or a terminal sentence that's yeah. just not true people come back from all sorts of things you've had them on this show yep People have all sorts of stories to tell about what they went through and how they've healed themselves. And so if it's possible for them, then it's possible
0: for you. Oh, I love that. And look how positive you are. Like it's that PMA, that positive mental attitude, isn't it? You know, that like keeps us floating along. Um, so last top three list. Do you, I mean, I'm sure, you know, we talked about how you've been making all these different lifestyle changes and there'll probably be more to come after the genetic testing comes back, but do you have like any top three cheats on your lifestyle changes or guilty pleasures or even comfort activities like when things are going to shit that you turn to? Like what are your three things that give you joy? Oh, yeah. I'm a lady of indulgences. <laughs> uh,
1: I I figure what's the point of surviving cancer twice mm. if you're not going to enjoy
0: life Yeah,
1: and you know- if you're not going to enjoy cheese and wine, for
0: example. <laughs> you were told to stay off the cheese, but we're still not sure about that well, one. Well, that's come right down. <laughs>
1: yeah? I'm not, yeah. Oh, you know, don't try this at home. Yeah, But if it becomes
0: a special treat instead of like a thing you have with every meal. Yeah, that's right. You just change the way you consume it.
1: Of course I do. But I mean, I don't see the point in, you know, surviving all of this if mm. you can't enjoy what you enjoy. We certainly um, enjoyed some wine last night. We did. <laughs> and I think it's also... What goes hand in hand with that is, you know, I have other things I enjoy. Cheese and wine just comes to mind. <laughs> I have other things that, you know, I don't indulge in anywhere near as much as I did before that I I do occasionally now. But I think, you know, what I've learnt that's important is that when I first was diagnosed with cancer, I ran out and, you know, bought all this kale. <laughs> stopped everything and then I realized that's actually not going to cure the cancer and then when I survived all the chemo and the surgeries and stuff I ran out and went oh I'd love it a- some cheese and wine and then I thought well that's not gonna well one extreme or the other isn't really gonna do it you know you need a balance as we all know yeah but what's important is not to feel bad about it
0: I feel like that one's really loud nearly there Complain. <laughs> on, go on. So I think, the important thing is not to feel bad about it. Yeah, I think, you know, you can have your
1: cake and eat it too. Mm. If you've been feeling shit and the cake's going to make you feel better, go for it, but just don't feel guilty about it. Mm. I think in the long run, feeling guilty about the cake or the cheese or the wine or feeling stressed about indulging in cake or cheese or wine is what's ultimately going to be bad for you. It's the guilt that it's attached to it or it's yeah. the stress that it's attached to it.
0: It's not the cake. Yeah, yeah. Cake isn't going to give you cancer. It's the perception of what the cake is. You know? Yeah. Cake won't give you
1: cancer. Wine won't give you cancer. But feeling stressed or guilty about them, they Will. they can do that. So just enjoy life, mm. you know? So, yours,
0: so you have your wine and your cheese. Do you have any other things or like comfort activities or – just like things that are giving you joy aside from you
1: know. oh yeah i think music has been a number one thing for me it got me through all of this mm. um music's really important to me and it's been life changing and it, uh, there's also studies to say how yeah. it, how it can affect you I, apparently going to a gig increases your the length of your life by Oh, gee, I'm not sure what I percent when now. I
0: posted that article. I need to look it up again. Yeah, yeah. I was
1: pleased to hear going to, to a gig or live yeah. music uh, is very good for you. So mm. get out there and do it. I uh, know listening to music is great. And, you know. And I, all
0: sorts. You listen to all sorts. All
1: sorts. I've certainly, you know, indulged on quite a few concerts mm. um, and shows recently whilst I've been going through all this. And that's certainly kept my spirits up. So, you yeah. know, music is a gr- another fantastic indulgence mm. that doesn't even have a Negative side effect yeah. that I know of. So, uh, that yeah, would be. I don't be... think so.
0: I don't think there are any negative side effects there.
1: No, that would be another thing. Yeah. It's, um, very healing and soothing. I think my life wouldn't, wouldn't be worth living if it wasn't for the music and the cheese and the wine and the company. Mm. Uh, so, so good I... people's
0: on that list too, huh? People are on that list. Mm.
1: Indulge in hang time with your friends, mm. you know. Do what you want. I think when I left the clinic in Cali, something that the the leading Cuban doctor said to me yeah. as I left was, you know, in Spanish. This is my fantastic translation. Um, you know, go forth, be successful, éxito. Mm. Be successful and you know, laugh a lot and love a lot, and uh, ultimately, yeah, ultimately that's what I think it's important to do. It'll help you heal. It'll help prevent yeah. being ill. You know. Enjoy life.
0: Yeah, I love that. Well, Claire, it's been so nice having you on the show. Oh, it's been great it's to be on. Been so special. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks so much, Lauren. Great mm-hmm. being here.
0: That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.